You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. What is one thing that people have in common at New Year's, and that is resolutions? One young boy asked his father, he said, well, well Dad, what, what is your New Year's resolution? He said, to do everything I can in this new year to make your mom very happy. He turns to his mother and says, well, Mom, what is your New Year's resolution? To do everything I can possibly to make your dad keep his resolution. <laughs> Why do we make resolutions in the first place? Because we feel like there are some areas of our life that we want to improve. Maybe something that we want to do different, something we're not happy with. Well, today is one of those times where everybody, believers and non-believers alike, have done the same exact thing at the same exact time. We've left one place and gone into another place. Of course, I'm talking about leaving 2022 and entering 2023. And as we enter the new year, we can discover more of what it means to have a better life, not by making resolutions, but by making room for God. So we're going to talk about what we can do to have a great 2023. There are three scripture passages that I want to focus on through this morning. The first is from a reading in Psalm 1. In this psalm, David describes the person who opens their life to God. Verse 1 says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Now, that simply means following bad advice. What David is saying is, blessed is the one who doesn't follow bad advice. Blessed is the teenager who refuses to drink even when his friends are trying to get him to drink. Blessed is the woman who won't do something immoral just because her friends say, well, you know what? It's okay. Everybody's doing it. Blessed is the one who says no to peer pressure or to the world's standards because he or she loves the Lord. You know, we're pretty good at praising our kids when they do good things. But do you also praise them when they say no to bad things? When, when was the last time you might have said, Sweetheart, I'm so proud of you for saying no to, to drugs and alcohol. I'm so proud of you for, for not staying out all night and worrying me half to death. But I'm also proud that you have not turned your back on God and the church, and God will honor that. Verse 1 in its fullest says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. So being blessed by God isn't just staying away from the, the wrong things. It's also about doing the right things, about the best things. So verse 2 goes on to say, so that one who is blessed by God delights in the law of the Lord. It's one who meditates on his law day and night. The Hebrew word for meditate is literally to mutter under your breath. I mean, think about it. Back then, they didn't have personal Bibles. You know, I mean, we 
probably all have Bibles. And if you don't, we give them away for free. So just ask somebody in the back. We'll give you a Bible. And how many of us have several, maybe even around our homes and in workplaces? Back then, they didn't have personal Bibles. They had scrolls that Scripture was written on, and those were housed at the temple, at the synagogue, to be used by priests or those studying to be priests. So the only way that an average person could remember the Word of God was to say it over and over and over again in their mind, under their breath, if you will. In this way, the Jewish person was thinking always about the Word of God, seeing how it could be put into practice in their life. That's what it means to meditate on the Word of God. And blessed is the one who does this. Blessed is the one who is always thinking about Scripture. Joshua 1.8 says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. And then in verse 3, David says, The one who meditates on the Word of God is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers, much of the land of Israel, especially in and around Jerusalem, is pretty dry. There's a lot of desert area in Israel. So a tree planted by water would incredibly flourish. What a beautiful blessing that, that is and that, the picture of that. So what David is saying is that if you have rooted in you the word of God, what a beautiful blessing you will be in a barren world that your faithfulness to the word makes the world a better place. And God's blessing will be on everything that you do. People will want to be around you. You will be an influence for good. Now, some of this is not surface level stuff. And, and to show what I mean by that, we're going to look at our second scripture passage of the day. There was a church in Ephesus in New Testament times that was talked about by the Lord Jesus in Revelation chapter 2. Listen to what it says. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands, that's Jesus. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. Well, that's pretty good, but that's, that's outward show. That, that's external stuff. That's stuff that you can see. But he goes on. Jesus does. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. Okay, that's better. Cannot tolerate. You've tested. That requires depth. And Jesus says, you have persevered have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. That's a wonderful sounding church. They don't tolerate evil. They persevere when things get tough. What could you say about a church like that? A church that stands on the corner and preaches the word of God. A church that is faithful to its members. A church that does not allow any wind of doctrine just to blow it from here to there. What could you say wrong about a church that perseveres and endures. We would tend to call that a spirit-filled church. A church that perseveres and doesn't grow tired. I mean, this is a church that is described as not 
getting weary. What could you say to a church like that? Jesus says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. That's about him, by the way. They have abandoned their first love. How can that be? I mean, they have the right causes. They know which apostle to follow, which one's right and wrong. They, they persevere. They don't grow weary. But they've left their first love. Weren't they doing good works? <laughs> yes. So what does it mean that they have left their first love? Somehow, they got so good at religious things that they didn't need Jesus anymore. So church became something like a cause rather than about relationships. It became an organization instead of a living organism. They were doing good things, but something was missing. They had left their first love. Did you know that you can do great things for God and leave your first love? What does that look like? What does it mean to leave him. We get a hint of this in Luke 10, our third scripture passage for today. In Luke 10, Jesus and his disciples are traveling and they're going through the town of Bethany, which is just outside of Jerusalem. And I'm going to take a little liberty here and say, Jesus says to his disciples, okay, what do you want to do? And they said, well, let's go to Martha's house. We're hungry. So in Luke 10, Jesus and his disciples were on their way he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, it's funny. It says Martha opened her home to him. She doesn't say she opened it to the other 12 guys, but they're there. She had a sister called Mary. Now, you may know this family, Martha, Mary, brother Lazarus. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. We get great insight on Martha here. Martha's thinking, okay, I've got to control this. Jesus is in the other room having a Bible study, and someone's got to feed these big guys. Have you ever met a Martha? We meet them all the time, and they're great. They throw things around in the kitchen. They're banging pots and pans so you can hear it. But we need Marthas. And about the only person you'll hear say that in the church is the pastors because we know that Marthas are the take charge, get things done people. And without them, pastors have to do a lot more. Except Jesus doesn't say that. Some are Marthas, some are Marys. And this isn't gender specific. This is... Men and women have these, have these personalities, these, these profiles. But we see Martha as a personality type. She's a controller. She's a person who might say, look at me. Look what I'm doing. A person who has hooks in their service. And I don't know, if you met people like this, somebody that does something for you, but then they hook you so that that doing something for you isn't as clean as it should be. 
and they often get angry. Well, in this passage, Martha goes in and interrupts the Bible study that Jesus is conducting. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think I would interrupt Jesus in his Bible study. That takes a lot of guts. She came to him, she came to Jesus and, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. If you want to eat, and you 12 big guys want to eat, then somebody better help me. The disciples are probably wanting to say, Jesus, don't make her mad. We haven't eaten yet. <laughs> I want to be very careful in talking about Martha. You know, in the church, we have gifts. Every person, according to Scripture, has spiritual gifts given to them by God. And for some, the gift of hospitality is a spiritual gift. The gift of organizing. The gift of directing ministries to accomplish more. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the fact that Martha missed something. It's like the church in Ephesus that Jesus talked about in Revelation 2. So remember the context of this story. Jesus is holding a Bible study that Martha interrupts, Lord, tell her to help me. Next verse, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. The problem, the problem with the Marthas is that they are always wrestling with something internal they don't know how to heal. So they're all about work, 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 and they become like machines. And sometimes when you meet a Martha, again, this could be male or female, all of that work means that their relationships are gone astray. Then Jesus says this, Martha, you know, you've worried about so many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Every time you meet this Mary in Scripture, she is at the feet of Jesus. She's waiting and bowing before the Lord. It was this Mary who understood his death in advance. You may remember, Mary, this Mary, was the one who anointed him with oil just days before his crucifixion. Even some of the other disciples got mad at her gesture. Well, we've talked about the Martha principle, that she's one that has to be in control. What's the Mary principle? Well, according to Martha, Mary's lazy. That's what Martha said. Jesus, will you tell her to get in here? Somebody's got to help me. Get Mary in here. But Marys aren't lazy. Here's the secret. Those who are like Mary know that their lifeblood comes from spending time with Jesus. Again, this is not gender specific. 
This is male, this is female. Do you know that your life comes from Jesus? And that the first thing you must do and the guiding principle of your life must be time spent with him. You can't get around it. If you do, you become like that church at Ephesus who is doing everything right on the outside, but they totally have left Jesus out of the picture. So here's the question that we all need to ask ourselves. How much time do I have with Jesus? Is it every day? Or am I just counting on Sunday mornings to fit him in? Because if that's all that you are making room for, you will lose that first love mighty quickly. Your love may become the church. It may even become evangelism or may even become missions. But it won't be Jesus. And Jesus is the one who moves us and none of us can get around that. Jesus is the one who breathes life into us. And maybe you'll get to the point where you will say, I can't do without him. Maybe you've heard this referred to as devotional or or quiet time. You know, what is that? What, What do you do in a quiet time? You spend time reading the Bible and know this important distinction. You're not reading for distance, you're reading for depth. Reading for distance is, hey, I read six chapters today. Well, what'd you learn? I learned that I read six chapters today. Reading for depth, maybe that's a chapter at most. Maybe that's just a, a passage where you let it soak in. That's when we tap in to the passion of God who says, thank goodness Paul showed up today because I want to meet with him. So you read God's word and you let God's word soak into your heart. Maybe you have a notebook where you jot down some thoughts and you pray. Maybe prompted by the Bible reading that you just had that allows you to help worship the Lord. You acknowledge your sins, your failings, your regrets, and you let him wash over you for healing, for cleansing, for forgiveness. You pray that the Lord take more precedence in your life, that your marriage, your children, your job, your relationships, your finances come under his reign You pray for those in need. You pray for those who are sick, who are suffering, who are lost, who don't know Jesus. And then you leave room for God to speak to you, and he will. Through the scripture that you've read, through the circumstances of your life, And especially through the Holy Spirit, who will instill truth and and guidance. Through all of this, God will minister to your soul. And from that vantage point, 
you will begin to move out into your world of activities because you have been sent by the one who sends you. Mary was not lazy. Mary understood that life came from, began with, spending time with Jesus first. So here's your homework assignment. Consider this. Do you love the Lord? Do you know that he loves you with a holy passion? Do you know that he wants to meet with you? Then take the next 21 days and have time with the Lord every day. Why 21 days? Because experts say that it takes 21 days, usually three weeks, to start a habit. 21 days where you read the Bible, you pray, you listen. You may use a devotional guide if that's helpful or pick a book of the Bible. I always suggest the Gospel of John. There's 21 chapters in it. You could read a chapter a day. There's your three weeks. You can do this with others. You can do this alone. But there's just life here. And it's life in meeting with the Lord Jesus. And you may discover that those few moments that you spend, maybe it's 15 minutes, become the most important 15 minutes of your day. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.